This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. The little girl had been quietly and patiently listening while her father and a neighbor discussed politics. That night, when she had said her prayers, she ended her prayers with these additional words, God, bless Mommy and Daddy, and please, dear Lord, take good care of yourself, because if anything happens to you, we'd have nobody left except the president of our nation, and he hasn't quite come up to Daddy's expectations lately. (laughs) Well, that's not a political statement that could apply to any president. Children like to have heroes to follow, but the desire to be like somebody else does not cease when we grow older. Of all the things that influence us, none is more powerful than those individuals whose lives we want to copy. There's a law of life which says what we like, we become like. Imitation is a natural outgrowth of admiration. Therefore, if you show me who your heroes are, I can tell you a great deal about the kind of person you are that in the process of becoming what you're going to be. On this Father's Day, I want to ask you to look with me at a person whom we might well take as our own hero. He's one of the Bible characters whose name we don't even know since this story is in parable form. In fact, I doubt that you ever thought of this man as a hero as such. But I hope we can conclude that this man is surely a hero and even more. As I have often done before, I want to acknowledge the debt of gratitude to a seminary friend of mine, Dr. John Claypool, whose thoughts about this Bible character have opened up to me many new avenues of truth, some of which I want to pass on to you this morning. This Bible character to whom I refer is the man we know of as the father of the prodigal son. Now, you know that story. The younger son of our hero walked in one day and asked that he be given his share of the inheritance right away. He was ready to leave home. This request had all kinds of hidden meanings and consequences to it. For one thing, It involved his asking for at least one-third of all the family's wealth. That would surely make a large dent in the family's resources. On a more personal level, this boy was actually saying to his father, I wish you were dead, and this were the day after your funeral, so we could divide up your property. I have no use for you as a person any longer. All I want from you now is what you have. Let's go ahead and get it over with. Give me my inheritance, and I'll be done with you forever, old man. Don't you know this would be devastating to hear from your own flesh and blood? In the third place, this request must have made the father quite uneasy to think about his son venturing into the world on his own. Surely the protective instincts of the father's heart were brought into play here because one of the great desires of any parent is to try to prevent his child from needless suffering. 
we parents somehow long to get our children over into maturity without their having to go through any pain. Now, this father could envision untold pain and suffering that was surely to come to his son. So in light of all this, it's amazing to read in the Bible that this father said yes to his boy's request. How was he able to do this? Well, many of us might have said, if we had been in that father's place, son, you're out of your mind. I'm not about to allow you to throw away one third of all I've worked so hard to provide. You can just get that idea out of your head to start with. That's what we may have said. But that father said, yes. Why? Because he was wise enough to realize that this was the only path to his son's maturity. There comes a time in life when a person refuses to be taught by someone else. And we can learn only by experience in the school of hard knocks. One of the hardest challenges of parenthood is that of being able to recognize that moment and then allowing the child to go where he's sure to suffer and fail. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus, though he were a son, yet learned obedience by the things which he suffered. That's Hebrews 5, verse 8. And so this father said yes to his son's foolish request, even though it meant financial sacrifice, personal rejection, and the prospects of a beloved son getting hurt. Oh, how hard that decision must have been for that father. You know the story. When the son went into the far country, things went pretty much as could be expected. The boy turned out to be not nearly so smart as he thought he was. He lost everything, his inheritance, his self-confidence, his trust in his own ability, and his friends. When his whole world tumbled in on top of him, this son made a decision to come back home and become a little child again. He begged his father to make him as one of the hired servants. Now, he wanted his father to resume the process of making all the decisions for him. Isn't it interesting and strange how the pendulum has swung all the way from one extreme to the other? First, he wanted total freedom. He wanted nobody to tell him anything. But then he comes home ready to give up his freedom altogether and let someone tell him everything to do. This thing called freedom is really mysterious. It appears to be so attractive when you don't have very much of it. But once you get freedom and begin to exercise it, then the difficulty in knowing how to use freedom can become heavy indeed. Then the temptation is to surrender your freedom and turn your life over to some authority who will do the deciding for you. This is precisely what happened to the prodigal son. And this also set the stage for a second expression of wisdom and maturity on that father's part. This father, who had been wise enough to say yes at an earlier time in the son's life, was now wise enough to say no to his son's request to come back as a hired servant. Once again, 
Many of us might well have said, had we been in that father's place, so you finally saw the light, eh, boy? I'm glad you wised up. Realize that father knows best. I could have told you so all along. Oh, sure, I'll hire you as one of my servants. He could have said that, but no. When the boy came limping back home, his father took him gently by the shoulders and turned him away from his childhood desires and toward adulthood. He called for a ring, a robe, and shoes, all symbols of sonship. In effect, that father said to his boy, you are not a slave, you are a son. You were not born always to let somebody else make your decisions for you. No, son, you cannot resign from life. And so this father did in these two instances the exact opposite of what natural instinct would have said to do. Our tendency is to say no to our children when they want to be individuals and learn for themselves, and then to say yes to them when they want to make the decisions, want us to make the decisions for them, perpetuating their dependence on us. This father was a real hero, for he knew when to say no and when to say yes. There was a second quality in this father's life which I think revealed great maturity. When the son began to reject all his father had stood for, this man did not fall apart in panic or feel that he was a total failure as a parent. He was strong enough to keep on living the way he felt was right, even though that younger boy was saying no to it all. The father allowed his son to go to the far country in rebellion, but he did not go there with him. When some parents are challenged, they simply fall apart because of their own insecurities and shaky foundations. These parents, when they're challenged, just give up and give in and deny their children that parental stability that every child needs. Nothing is more devastating than total permissiveness. Only that which resists us can be depended on to support us. Some time ago, when I was pastor of a church, we were building a new sanctuary. I was watching one day as some men were putting together some scaffolding, building the interior of that sanctuary. As I glanced over at another section which they had already completed, one which reached all the way to the top center of the sanctuary, I thanked the Lord once again he had called me to preach and not to climb scaffolds. As much as I like food, I do believe I'd rather starve to death than to climb that scaffolding. Terra firmer is truly for me. The firmer it is, the less terror I have. Anyhow, as I watched the workmen assemble another section of scaffolding, they lifted a piece into place, positioned it just right so that one pipe fit into another, and then the workman shook it vigorously until he was sure it was firm. He knew that if he was going to stand on that scaffolding, it would have to resist his entire weight if it supported him. Only that which resists us can be depended on to support us. 
And every child needs certain limits that will not give just as much as he needs loving acceptance that will not reject, reject him. This father of the prodigal son stayed put and it paid off because when that son in the far country came to himself, he remembered then how strong, how wise his father was. That boy had something to come home to. Now there's one other thing about this father that makes him a hero in my eyes. This was his understanding of the difference in a salary and a gift. Did those two sons become sons by the things they did or did not do? Or was sonship a gift that they could not earn? Both sons in this parable were slow to understand this truth. The younger son, the prodigal, obviously thought that sonship was something you earned. Because after he failed so miserably in the far country, he came home and said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The older brother operated out of the same framework, except he was at the other extreme. He felt that by his good deeds, he had earned his relationship with his father, and therefore he was worthy to be called a son. In the middle of these two extremes stood the father, who kept on saying, no, you don't understand. Sonship is not a matter of worthiness or unworthiness. It is a gift, not something you can earn. You see, once a son, always a son, not because of what you do, but because of who you are. This means that the father could meet his son when he returned home, and he could say to him, there's no way you can lose the fact of your sonship. All you can do is receive it, or you can reject it. And in a similar way, the father had to remind his older son that what you can't lose by unworthiness, you can't win by worthiness. So being a son is not a wage, a salary that one receives. It is a gift that one is given. It does not result from what you do. It grows out of what you are. And it is simply by the grace of God that you and I are what we are. The father in this parable knew this truth without a doubt, and he continued to hammer that truth into his sons. Wouldn't you agree with me that this father was truly a hero whom we can admire, respect, and follow? He was certainly the kind of father I would like to be, wise enough to know when to say yes and no, willing to consider my son's maturity above concern for property, my personal feelings, or my parental instinct to protect, strong enough to stand up to him even when my truth is not his truth, perspective enough to keep reminding that boy that sonship is a gift, not a salary, therefore nothing he had to strive for. This then, is a picture of what I believe we all might well call mature fatherhood. And the beauty of all this is the fact that this is not just a parable about a father and two sons. It is a reminder to us all that God is our heavenly father 
and we don't have to earn his love. We become his children as a gift, which he gives to you and me, not because of something we deserve. God is like that father. Sometimes he tells us yes, sometimes no. God is not overprotective. He does not dominate our lives, nor does God collapse when we reject his way for another. But he is overjoyed when we come to ourselves and come back to him. Perhaps this is where we ought to leave it for today. Do you need to come back to him or maybe to come to him in the first place? Right now is a perfect time. Oh God, you know the hearts of each one of us. For those who've never really come to you and said, I want you to be my heavenly father, may this moment be that time when that decision is made. For all of us, O oh God, who've wandered astray and who've gone into our own far countries, help us to know we can come back to you and you love us and you know all about us and you love us anyhow. Thank you for your love as you've shown it through Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.